Uh, it's really great to be here with you guys. Uh, it feels like coming back to a lot of friends. There's a lot of great friends that I have here, uh, professors and some of you students. And so I'm really looking forward to hanging out for the next couple of days. Uh, let me acknowledge a couple of things. First of all, I'm just guessing because I went to a Christian college and uh, then seminary and then more seminary and all that kind of stuff that the majority of you didn't wake up this morning going like, oh my gosh, deeper life starts this morning. I cannot wait to get to chapel. Now, some of you, you know, leading worship and stuff, like maybe you were thinking that. I'm guessing maybe one of you felt that way this morning, <laughs> out of all of you. Now, some of you are like, oh, cool, it's deeper life. You just knew that um, five minutes ago. Uh, and, and now you're like, oh, do I come to chapel at night? Uh, it sounds like a lot. You know, so I get, I get it. Uh, and then some of you are like, well, if I could get the chapel credit tonight and tomorrow night, then maybe I could skip later in the semester. It might be good to invest now. I know how you think because I've thought that way too. So I just want to acknowledge the fact that because we don't necessarily wake up, I mean, there's a million things in our minds. We've got class projects. Uh, you know, I, I was an athlete in college. And so I remember being in chapels and just thinking like, when can I get done with this so I can get done with class and get to practice and do the other things? So I, I just know that there's so much in our heads all the time. And that, you know, deeper life weeks can feel either like a necessary thing that we're a part of, or maybe like for some of you, yeah, this is a good, a good reminder. I'm excited to spend the next couple of days because here's what I really do believe in my heart. I really do believe in Jesus. Now, that sounds pretty basic for a chapel speaker. But I had a student from my former youth group. I was a youth pastor in New Jersey for a few years. And, uh, and she called me up last year. She'd been through a lot of difficulty, and she knew that, and I'm going to share this with you in just a second, that I had been going through a lot of personal difficulty. And she called me up and she said, do you still believe all this stuff? Like, that you used to say in the early 2000s stuff, like, do you still believe in God? I mean, come on. She was getting married to an atheist guy, and she's kind of walking away from her faith a little bit. And I said, yeah, I, I really do. She goes, why do you still believe in God? After all the stuff that you've seen and been through, and you seem like a rational human being, like, how could you still believe all this stuff? And, and, you know, there's a lot of reasons that I believe in God, but at the bottom line for the core of me is I cannot imagine life without hope. I can't imagine life without living. And, and Jesus is the center of all that for me. Like, I can't imagine getting through the day and thinking that somehow I'm going to figure all this out. Because I know me well enough to know that, like, I don't have what it takes. Martin Luther said, isn't it great to believe in something um, that says that salvation comes from outside of us? Because we all know each other. <laughs> like, I would not want to put my faith in all of you, as much as I like and respect you, to save me eternally or like even day to day. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to depend on people. And I would not want to have that burden on myself. So I still, I really believe in Jesus. But I believe more than just an idea that God like makes our lives better or that Jesus helps us out. Fundamentally, Jesus changes everything for me. And so I'm excited to hang out for a couple of days and just talk about that kind of life that is deeper than most of us currently experience. That's why the Christian and Missionary Alliance was founded really with two core ideas, that there was more life in Jesus than most people were experiencing, and our founder called that deeper life. That's why you call this conference deeper life. That goes back 130 years. That there's more to this than just like showing up and maybe opening our Bible. And so God wants to actually change us and 
Make us more like him. And the second idea was that that deep life propels us into the world with a heart for other people, for the nations who haven't heard, for for others. The theme of our next couple of days is rooted. I live in Colorado now. I've been living there for five years, and we have all these aspen trees. When I woke up this morning, I grew up in Ohio, so when I woke up this morning, I was reminded how wonderful the Midwest is in the fall. Like, it is the greatest when it starts getting cool and, like, the leaves start changing. Now, the winter, not as great. But the fall is awesome. I love the fall in the Midwest. And so I woke up this morning, and we don't really have that in Colorado. Like, we, where I live, I mean, you kind of get it. The leaves change in one day, and then they all fall off. And there's not all the, like, vibrancy of colors and all those kind of things. But we do have aspen trees that for a couple of days are pretty in the fall. But mostly are just horrendous in my yard. So aspen trees have this root system that goes all over the place. And I realized this after I bought my house like a year and a half in. I'm in the backyard and I'm like, what are all these like little sprouts coming up everywhere? I thought they were weeds at first. And then I realized like this is connected to this one stupid aspen tree that's not even that pretty that I can't rip up because it's like in the middle of me and my neighbor's yard and I would have to take down the fence and they're not going to replace the fence and I'm not rich, so what am I going to do? So I have to leave the aspen tree, okay? So then I get out there and I have to get on my hands and knees with like, um, uh, what do you call those things, farmers? You know, shears, thank you. Uh, on the ground <laughs> and start cutting into the root system, right? And I have to and, and some of the roots are like this big. They're, they're big around. And I got to go down there and cut them up. And every year I have to do the same thing. So I literally tear up my lawn every year for the sake of this one aspen tree. Because you can't kill it. Like it doesn't matter what I do. I've tried to do all these kind of things. You can't kill it. The reality for us in our lives is that most of us go through life hanging on. We're hanging on for like the next thing and the next challenge. And I believe that God wants more for us than just a hanging on existence. A a rooted existence that when stuff comes and there are attacks and when the family stuff happens and when we're stressed out, like people are coming at us with shears and they just can't kill it because it's rooted, it's tied to something bigger and grander and not always pretty, but it's, it's connected to something deep. In Psalm 1, we have that picture. Maybe some of you are familiar with that, where it says, um, you know, a, a, a man who is following and is, is connected to the word specifically is like a tree planted, and, and not one that just goes away, but is planted by streams that refresh it. And that's the picture of rootedness. You know, Paul says to the Ephesian believers that he wants them to be rooted and growing and powerful in the love of the Spirit. And so that's my prayer for us. So we'll reference some of that. But most of the time, we're going to be hanging out in the book of John. So if you do have a Bible this morning, I, I know that most of us just turn on our Bibles now instead of opening them. Uh, and it's always a little nerve-wracking for me when people can open their phones. But if you need to do that, that's fine. We're going to be in John chapter 14. Because the first place I go is like Instagram, not the Bible. But um, if you can show incredible self-control. John chapter 14 is where we're going to be just this morning. I mentioned that the last year has been difficult. And I want to bring you into that partly because um, I really have a low tolerance for faking it. Um, I, I really, I hate, um, 
I actually hate the phrase like, all right, can I be real with you? Because it kind of implies that like, I'm mostly time, I'm fake with you, but um, let me be real with you for a second. Um, I, I just like authenticity and those kind of things. And so for me, it's one thing to come in here and like preach messages and try to pump you up and all that kind of stuff uh, to, to follow Jesus, even though that uh, is my intention to help you hopefully uh, turn towards Jesus. But um, it seems uh, inauthentic if I don't mention the fact that uh, I've, been, I've been struggling a little bit over the last 18 months in my own relationship with Jesus here and there. Um, you know, I didn't do something bad or whatever, but there have been days when uh, it, felt, it felt pretty dark. And actually, to, this morning's uh, talk is called Rooted in the Dark. About 18 months ago, I got a call from my sister, and, um, and I'm not going to give you details of this story, but all she said was, Dad's not who we think he is. And that led to a whole bunch of stuff. My dad's been in ministry all my life, and, uh, and everything unraveled. My parents are divorced. Um, there's a total disconnect between a whole side of the family. And a lot of my journey was connected to like, okay, I'm going to follow in these footsteps and all this kind of stuff. And, and so I had, I had this long period of like, and I'm still in it at times, <laughs> going like, do I really want to be in ministry? And, and more and more stories. Like, it seems like every day we turn on, um, you know, you, like oh, you open your phone or something, and there's another like pastor that's fallen or another person who's been accused of something. Um, you know, Cosby gets put in prison yesterday. Like it's just a lot of the people that I grew up like, you know, almost venerating in some ways. Um, and, and, and my dad uh, turned out to be that story right now. We're in the middle of it. And the reason I'm being that open is because I really don't think we can have a real strong connection with Jesus if we're not coming first from a place of complete honesty about where we're at. Like, I love you, Lord, but I'm struggling with this. And so there have been days where I woke up and I'm like, I never question the existence of God or something, but I have questioned, is God good? Is he present with me? Is he for me? Do I really want to be a part of this like Christian missionary alliance thing? Do I want to be in ministry? All those kind of questions. And over and over, I've come to one realization that in the dark, God can say stuff to us that we can never hear in the light. In the darkness, in pain, in suffering, in confusion, in doubt, in, in sometimes even in sin against us, there is an invitation for God to speak to us in ways that we can never hear when everything's going great. Or when we're so preoccupied with other things, we just can't hear from him. But God has been speaking to me in new ways, and I've been following him the majority of my life, that I've never experienced even in the darkest and most difficult moments. So I don't know if you came into chapel today like not just kind of indifferent, but maybe you came into chapel like really struggling with something. Personally, you're feeling the weight of it. You've got family stuff. You're personally struggling with, you know, other issues or life has been difficult. But I, I do want to say this. Here's what I found. I said I still believe in Jesus. Jesus is my only hope. And Jesus really can be your only hope. <laughs> Even though sometimes when we grow up in the church, we come to a Christian college, we, we doubt some of those things. So that was a long introduction this morning just because uh, I want to make some of those connects. I'm not going to say all that kind of stuff over and over. John chapter 14 starts with some familiar verses. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you may also be with where I am, you know the way to the place I'm going. 
The context of these verses is that Jesus has just predicted that his best friends are going to betray him and deny him. He says to Judas, like, you're going to, you know, betray me. And he says to Peter, who's like ready to do anything for Jesus, he says, uh, you're going to deny me. And he says, uh, Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't go. And Peter goes, I can go. I mean, Peter's always that guy. Like, if anybody can do it, I can do it. I'll die for you and all these things. And Jesus says, you actually can't go where I'm going. And actually, not only can you not go, you're going to screw it all up on the most important day of history. Um, you're going you're gonna to deny me, right, in front of all your friends and all these other people. And then Jesus, right after basically predicting his death and the betrayal and the denial of all these people, says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going somewhere good, and I'm going to take you with me. I think sometimes when we read this, we think about heaven immediately, and that is ultimately what Jesus is talking about, some future kind of promise, some future glory. But what Jesus is really saying is, don't worry and don't be anxious because this story, even that I'm predicting, is not going to be the end of the story, even though it feels like it. There's another story that I'm writing and that I'm completing. That story ends with me taking you with me uh, to this great place of promise of completion. The story of the gospel is not just, uh, did, can Jesus die for my sins so I can go to heaven? It is that. The story of the gospel, though, really at its core is Jesus is Lord, and he is bringing his story to completion, and he's inviting us to join him in that story. He did die for our sins. He died for the sins of everyone, but this is not just about our story. This is about the story. And so I think one of the truths for you this morning that I'd love you to walk away with is this. Whatever you're currently experiencing, whether that's victory or defeat, whether you're feeling very frustrated or very encouraged, whatever you're currently experiencing is not the end of the story. That's a great reminder for me in the dark. That when it feels like this is it, I cannot go one day more. I mean, I've had days... Literally, where I was at a conference supposed to speak, and I was like in the fetal position in a room, <laughs> calling my therapist. So, I mean, there have been dark days. I'm not just saying like, oh, I was struggling. Like, I've, I, there have been really, really difficult days. But in those moments, I realized God is painting a picture and writing a story that is beyond me, and it's going someplace. You know, the return of Jesus, the establishment of his kingdom, actually makes sense of our day-to-day. The, the fact that this is going someplace where Jesus is Lord and victor forever actually makes sense of the struggle and all of that today because he is taking us and he's taking the world someplace good. And he actually says to his disciples, you know the way that I'm going. But then they say this, uh, Thomas, the real one. You know, he's always like the, the, the real, <laughs> he's called doubting Thomas. I think it's more just like, millennial Thomas, right? Like, he's just like the real disciple (laughs) who's authentic about his journey. And he says to to Jesus, Lord, in verse 5, we don't know where, we have no idea where you're going. How can we know the way? It's such a human moment that Thomas says this. Uh, You're speaking in riddles again. We have no idea where you're going. And Jesus says, and I love this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you'd know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. And then Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. Show us 
our creator. Show us Yahweh God, and, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, it's the Father living in me. Basically, he says this, if you know me, you know the Father. Jesus says, when Thomas goes, hey, just show, like, give us the next steps, the bullet points. Tell us the three things that we need to do today to find the Father. And Jesus says, I'm the way, just keep walking. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You keep your eyes on me, and that sounds so intangible and difficult. How do we keep our eyes on Jesus? And we'll unpack some of that stuff over the next couple of days. But Jesus essentially is saying, there is no other magic formula to make sense of this life, to be connected to the eternal, to have fulfillment, except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he puts a stake in the ground as well for other religions and other competing ideas that there really is no other solution to this thing called life other than Jesus. I think many of us in the church today are sort of functional deists. You know what deist means? A lot of our founding fathers were deists of this country. Not all of them, some of them were. Deism basically means that God exists, but he's kind of distant and he's out there. You know, the the classic illustration for deism is the clockmaker, like he made the clock and then he wound it up and it just is kind of going. That he's out there, but he's not really connected to our daily lives and existence. And some of us, I think, are functional deists. Like we believe in God and we sing songs. But at the core of it, we're not waking up realizing that the, the fundamental life and existence and truth comes from Jesus. And some of us are like, where, where, where are you? And Jesus is going, I'm right here. Like, I'm right here with you. So sometimes our first step in rootedness is simply being conscious of the fact that Jesus is the only way. And so by turning more attention and our thoughts to him and actually carving out space for habits and life with Jesus in community brings us to see how he is the way on a day-to-day basis. God always looks like Jesus. I love that phrase too, that Peter says, hey, show us the Father. And he goes, you're looking at, at the Father essentially because I and the Father are one. We're connected. So whatever Jesus says and does, however Jesus acts, that's how God acts towards us. And that's good news. Because sometimes we have this idea that God is really out to get us. And he really is like always disappointed in us. Maybe because that's how we felt that people in our families or authority figures have felt that way about us. But the truth is, Jesus is for us and he's always drawing us in and he's inviting us. Now he's inviting us to surrender everything to him. It's not like a Jesus is for us so he's just going to let us do whatever we want. But Jesus is the way in the dark. Bill mentioned that my wife and I were mission, excuse me, missionaries in France. And uh, early on in my journey there, I was um, at this youth, like young adult conference in Geneva, Switzerland. We had taken a bunch of our friends from France up there. And we were, all the guys were sleeping in this World War II bunker underground. And at night, they closed the door and like spun it. And it was super freaky. <laughs> because when they shut it, you're like, I can't get out of here. 
And I'm not super claustrophobic, but I think anybody in their right mind is a little like, what is this? And so, you know, we, and we're all these guys like packed in there like, and so I'm sleeping next to this guy and his arm's touching mine and I don't do well with that. Um, <laughs> like sleeping with other guys in the room is just not, I, I don't do well. So um, I'm a high maintenance traveler. I'll say that. So I'm laying next to this guy and he's touching me and I'm like, please roll over. But I, you know, but then I finally fall asleep. And then at 3 a.m., uh, I got to go to the bathroom. So, um, you know, you got to go, you got to go. It's 3 a.m. So I have a phone, but I didn't take my phone with me because I could see the light in the bathroom down. Like it was these winding tunnels. It was like a maze under there. So I get there and I'm happy. And then I leave the bathroom and there is just darkness everywhere. And I have no idea where I came from. I'm already like sort of directionally challenged, but in the complete darkness of a bunker under, un, under the ground at 3 a.m. when you're already kind of like, where am I? So I'm walking around and I'm going like room by room trying to find my bed. So I'm just touching dudes' legs like for a long time. And they're like, no, you know, I'm like, oh, sorry. Um, so I, I, and this goes on for like 15 minutes, which doesn't sound like a long time. But when you're in the bunker, and you trying to desperately find your bunk bed, it's a long time. So I, at one point, I was just standing in the middle of the room, and I could not, it was the, the kind of darkness you can't even see your hand in front of your face. I was like, I'm just going to lay down here and sleep. I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do, you know. So I, 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 I was thinking about it, and then I was like, man, when the lights come on in the morning, that's going to be so awkward. Like, I need to continue my quest. So I keep going, and I touch a couple more guys, and then I finally found my bed. I get in this bed and I am like the happiest I've ever been in my life. I'm like, dude, just share my bed with me. I could care less. Like I'm on my bed and I'm never leaving. I was like relieved. The truth is in the darkness of our lives, this is like a cheesy preacher turn, right? But in the darkness of our lives, it has felt to me in recent days a little bit like I'm walking around like I can't see. I don't know what to do. That the rootedness that comes from Jesus is relief. It, it, is, it, it is hope. Like Jesus really is life and, and, and hope and truth. And living life with him does give us, even when it's uncomfortable, it does give us the next step in our journey and in our rootedness. Now here's the last thought this morning. Jesus, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit um, tomorrow night and his role and our complete dependence on him. But in in verse 15 of chapter 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. I will ask the Father. He will give you another counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither knows him, uh, nor sees him, nor knows him, but you know him. And I want you to catch this phrase, for he lives with you, but will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'll come to you. And then he says all these things like, it's better for you if I go. You're going to, in verse 12 earlier, he says, you're going to do greater things than I have done because the Spirit is with you. We'll talk about that tomorrow night. But the truth is that Jesus is saying, there has been a reality for the disciples where the Spirit has been with them, but now will be in control of them. This is sort of that jump between deism and theism of walking with Jesus. I think some of us, I'm going to make a bold statement. I think some of us actually prefer a God that is with us, but not in control of us. 
uh, with us but not in us, God. Like we maybe prefer to keep God out here blessing our thing where we can say, God, can you help me live my dream? Can you help me feel fulfilled? Can you help me avoid pain? I'll do some stuff for you. But like stay out there. But what Jesus is saying is it's actually way better when the with you God becomes the in you God, the in in control of you God, the God that when you're open-handed takes control of your life and starts giving you ideas and calling you to do radical weird stuff for him. But some of us prefer the hazy kind of fog of like walking alone. And, And I guess that's the point of this morning is don't stay in the dark. Like there is a rootedness that can come while you're in the dark, but don't choose that. Don't choose the fogginess of life when Jesus is promising a spirit that actually takes control of us and gives us power over sin, gives us power to know him and to love him and to serve him. My oldest son, Blaine, is 11. He got glasses two years ago. And giving glasses to a nine-year-old is a horrible idea because they're very irresponsible human beings. So we would find those glasses, at the beginning, we'd find those glasses everywhere, like in the guinea pig cage, literally, under, under the couch, um, all, I'm like, Blaine, how did these, I don't know, they just fell off my face. I'm like, okay. I think he was hiding the, he didn't want to bother with the glasses, right? And sometimes he would take them off to, you know, do something else. The reality though is the kid, if I give that kid a screen, this is my challenge of parenting, I, I won't hear from him for a couple of days, right? Like I don't have to parent him if I just give him a screen. He'll just be like, oh, Fortnite, and his brain just goes off, right? So, I have to challenge that and get him to read books and all these kind of things. And he does those things. He's a good kid. But the reality is for him, the biggest preventer of enjoying the screens at maximum capacity is his glasses. He can't see very well. So he would choose the irresponsibility and the fogginess of actually experiencing life without the glasses than just to say, all right, fine, I'm going to submit myself to the fact that this is going to take some work and some process and I'm going to commit and I'll put on my glasses and take care of them. And I think some of us are like that. We really are. And I find myself like that all the time where I would maybe prefer to depend on myself in this foggy existence rather than giving myself fully to Jesus. So here's the last thought of the morning. Maybe you came in this morning and you're not pursuing Jesus or you're kind of indifferent. Jesus doesn't seem to care about that. Like he doesn't seem to be discouraged by our sin or our lack of focus on him. He just keeps on pursuing us. So I want to just say that it, whatever kind of dart you're feeling, Jesus is still pursuing you. And the way to Jesus is not to do anything other than to actually turn to him and to carve out time for him in our mind, in our allegiance, in our hearts, in our behaviors. And may we all get to the place where we say, I don't want you just to bless my life or be out there, but I want you in control of me. I want you to consume me. Because in our weakness, we do find hope. We find hope because we find Jesus. And he actually is real and here with us. Let me pray for you. God, over the next couple of days, and even in this moment, would you stir up some expectation that you are real and here with us? Would you speak to us and comfort people who are feeling like they're in the dark and they're feeling like despair and in general? Would you bring your spirit as the comforter that Jesus just promised? And may you take us deeper because when we're rooted in you, 
There is life and hope and a future. And you're taking this somewhere, and I'm really thankful for that, in spite of what we have to live through sometimes. Give us your grace and give us the courage to say yes to you and to look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Have a great day.